Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, Glenda Allen Wasser will discuss recent rail performance. And up first in today's country comment, Brian Peria with Canfax will give a cattle market update. He spoke yesterday at Manitoba Beef Producers Annual General Meeting. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba Beef Producers held its 43rd annual general meeting online yesterday. One of the presenters was Brian Peria with Canfax. He gave a cattle market update. You know, 2021 has been uh, been a bit of a mixed year. I think uh, there's there's two sides to this story. Uh, obviously, very strong demand. We've seen amazing international demand. Just got our export numbers, you know, uh, for 2021, um, you know, record setting by far, you know, uh, as to where we were and domestic and, uh, you know, U.S., North American demand, we can call it very, very strong as well. Um, you know, these just starting off, we've got U.S. cutout prices here. And uh, again, besides besides the real blip in 2020 when, uh, you know, the packing plants went down, you know, we have had record high uh, wholesale beef prices. And reminder, this is U.S. Uh, choice cutouts in converted to Canadian dollars uh, as we're, we're still struggling to get Canadian boxed beef prices. Um, and uh, again, starting the year here for 2022, uh, there's a little bit of Omicron issues at the plants, you know, minor slowdowns. Uh, but again, we always see these little hiccups and instantly kind of beef shoots higher and cattle prices go down. We just get this backlog almost instantly, uh, very minor again. But again, we're not processing all the cattle in a timely manner. And uh, that puts pressure on our cattle prices. So the great story is demand. The real frustrating story is the demand for cattle just continues to lag or continues to struggle. Uh, and, you know, he also got to point out here the fact that we saw record high beef prices, uh, our wholesale and retail beef prices uh, amidst uh, record large beef production. So we had the biggest North American largest beef production last year and these huge prices. So uh, hence the demand story is very, very positive. And again, the, the record production speaks to the volume of cattle we've been processing and, 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 and in the works. Um, you know, the U.S. has pretty much near record cattle on feed numbers right now, drought, all of these things, just keeping the supply chain full. And uh, last year, they they processed an extra 330,000 cows in the United States as well, on top of these large cattle on feed numbers. So hence the disconnect somewhat between beef and cattle. But I think the opportunity is there, and hopefully we'll talk a bit more about that changing here going forward. And just for perspective, uh, this green line is 2015. So we think back, you know, our fat cattle prices back then were about $2 at the high. In that summer period in 2015, we had $2 fats. You know, here we are today, these kind of cutout values and our fat cattle are, you know, barely 160, a little over 160. So hence the disappointment. But on the other hand, the opportunity to get more of those dollars to flow back. And you can see on the right-hand side, really, that's just showing it's not just beef. You know, we, we often track how does red meat, beef, and pork move together. Despite these extremely strong prices for beef, they're really still competitive with pork. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, a good indicator, again, of strong demand across the board for red meat. We'll have to see inflation. You know, these kind of high prices are leading inflation. We saw U.S. inflation up here. Uh, to the highest point in 40 years. And, uh, you know, food is sort of leading that inflation. So it's catching some attention um, and something we need to be concerned about, 
a little bit in terms of, you know, how many dollars do consumers have to spend? Beef is the luxury good. And, um, you know, the high inflation does eat into disposable income. And this could be a little bit of a headwind. We've got to watch. Jumping along, looking at globally, um, you know, global wise, you know, we've had a constant growth in consumption and demand for meat, you know, as we, it's not just so much about population, but it's really about wealth. And as we move into some of these developing countries, Asia, uh, you know, the, the number in China, the number of people moving into middle class is really what drives beef demand. Um, you know, as they grow, as they gain wealth, they want to eat more meat, you know, which is usually chicken and pork, and then it ultimately is beef. And uh, again, China has been the world's biggest importer of meat. You know, for years we were lucky and still are. We were, we're on, on top of one of the biggest importers, but China went from almost a decade ago to being hardly on the radar for beef imports to now a global leader. But the other side of this too is the fact that it's very rare that we see two years in a row where we see global reductions in meat consumption or production. Basically, you're only going to eat what you produce. And with African swine fever stepping in and hitting China, and now these high high grain prices, uh, you know, Europe's had some struggles on their hog industry as well. Um, and very high grain prices usually, you know, sort of limits uh, the growth in poultry, chicken, and beef to some extent too. So uh, we've got extremely strong demand and we got a little bit of shrinking meat supplies, you know, bodes well for prices longer term or medium term, I guess you could say. That was Brian Perio with Canfax speaking yesterday at Manitoba Beef Producers Annual General Meeting. Brian gave us a cattle market update. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Protein Industries Canada announced a new project this week to help small and medium-sized plant-based businesses access capital to scale up their operations. CEO Bill Gruel says when they talked to their member companies about the challenges they face, accessing capital was the number one concern. The type of companies that we're talking about here, they would be ingredient manufacturers that have you know, proof of concept at a pilot scale facility, but they really want to scale that business up so that they're processing, you know, 50 to 100,000 metric tons of crop. It's quite expensive. That can be upwards of $100 million. A consortium, including industry stakeholders, will work on establishing a fund that will raise $200 million in equity capital. To get the project off the ground, $2.4 million will be invested initially, with Protein Industries Canada putting up $1.8 million, and the rest coming from the consortium partners. And with the release of the USDA WASI report this week, there was plenty of talk surrounding the weather in South America. Dan Bossy is president of Ag Resource Company in Chicago. Well, it's uh, one of the worst droughts we can find looking backwards in four decades. Uh, Southern Brazil, Argentina have been enduring drought going all the way back now to the middle of November. That drought looks to persist. The forecasts are dry for at least another couple of weeks. Bossy says crop numbers are declining and he expects the USDA to make adjustments in future reports. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, February 11th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler will give us an update on recent rail performance. The latest numbers from the Egg Transport Coalition shine the spotlight on poor performance by the railways. Glenda Lee Allen Vossler talked about the issue and the concern for the grain sector with Weyburn Area Farmer and Vice Chair of Sask Wheat, Jake Lugui. The Egg Transport Coalition numbers paint a pretty bleak picture of, of grain movement up to date so far. To put it uh, 
maybe a bit of an understatement almost, it's stunningly bad. Um, the performance after the uh, the big rain event there in November in BC, I mean, I think everybody expected that they were going to have some challenges after that. Um, but, you know, they got things reopened. They've talked a lot about all that and how things were going to start to improve. Well, we certainly haven't seen that. Um, numbers seem to be staying right around that same sort of percentile that uh, that they were meeting, you know, not too long after the flood. So, you know, you kind of have to ask the question, why? Why are they still having so much trouble getting grain moved? And yeah, we've had some bitter cold and that sort of thing, but that's standard winter stuff. I think that they should be able to handle that. Um, they should have the capacity to be able to deal with bitter cold temperatures. So, yeah, it's it's just been very frustrating to watch such dismal performance for such a long period. CN and CP, according to the Ag Transport Coalition numbers, supplying a combined 57% of the hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 24. Yeah, it's just very disappointing to see the kind of numbers that they've been that they've been putting together and and I think we're certainly within our you know, our, our rights to expect better out of them than that. Um, it's February, you know, it's been months since the flood. And, and if they're still having trouble because of that, then I think we need to know what's going on. You know, why is this happening? We haven't heard, um, you know, what the situation is, or at least, you know, I haven't. So it would be really nice to understand what exactly the reason is that they're having so much trouble. As you said, we've grown accustomed to slowdowns during the cold snaps. We we expect that. We understand that. But when you look at the information, again, from the Ag Transport Coalition, CN order fulfillment performance has declined for six consecutive weeks. And, you know, the thing that's most frustrating about all this is we had a small crop. I mean... Yeah, we expect total metric tons hauled to be down, but car order fulfillment, I mean, this should have been a year for them to do really well on that, even with the flood. The crop that Western Canada produced was not large. There's no reason they shouldn't be able to keep up with capacity, even with all the other challenges that they're facing. So that being said, what do we need to do? What needs to happen here? Well, we need to ask for answers. You know, why is this happening? The, we need the government to step up here and, and pressure the railways to explain to all of us, why are you struggling so much and what can be done about this? Because this is just, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for grain producers, for other commodity producers, um, for the economy of this country. We we have to be able to do better than this. So, so the railways need to explain why things are going the way that they're going, and they better have a good reason for it. It's an unfortunate situation. I think I'm just disappointed that, you know, with all the progress that the railways made, or seeming progress, and in the last couple of years, they hit a lot of records month on month on month. Um, you know, it really seemed like things were maybe turning around on this whole issue of of rail transportation. And it's just, it's kind of, disheartening to see the same situation crop up again, especially with a limited crop. 
moving, of course, from rail transportation to to export and export demand. What are we seeing there? Well, I mean, obviously the crop was small and grain prices are high. So export movement is definitely down. I mean, I I don't have the numbers in front of me to, to say what they are specifically, but I mean, we know that we needed to cut demand. Um, price is the blunt instrument of demand destruction and its prices have been high. So um, we needed to cut demand and we're certainly doing so. What do you think that tells us as, as far as moving into the spring? Well, it's hard to say exactly. I mean, if, if anybody could have an idea as to where these prices were going to go, um, well, they, they probably would be long since retired. It's been very difficult to understand where these markets are going. Um, right now, all I, all I can say for, for me, looking at my own, uh, my own grain stocks on farm is prices are really attractive. So it's hard to justify not moving things right now, but we're still dry. There's still another growing season in front of us. People still need the products that, that we're producing. There's lots of weather problems and other types of geopolitical problems elsewhere in the world. Um, I'm not sure that, uh, that there isn't room to expect that prices could remain high for quite some time, but who knows. What do we see happening at port? I know the Egg Transport Coalition and Quorum both have some numbers on, uh, on the amount of ships waiting at the port. It's high. I, I couldn't tell you the number of ships waiting there off the top of my head, but it's it's very high to the point where there's not enough room in the harbor from what I understand. So that that should tell us something about the fact that the railways aren't keeping up with what exporters are demanding from Canada. The demerge costs at this point have got to be absolutely astronomical. And I mean, we we know that those costs eventually work their way through the system down our way. So... You know, one way or another, we're paying for this. And one way or another, we have to see some movement. Yeah, we do. I mean, people have bills to pay. This is one of the things that has always been frustrating with slow grain movement is that, you know, our crop inputs uh, dealers and our credit line suppliers and our banks, when the credit line is due, it's due. There's There's no excuses for the most part that they are willing to accept. So... We don't we don't get to tell them oh grade movement slow so sorry um, they got to be paid so it makes it really challenging to plan out cash flow to match those bills as they become due when you can be waiting you know periods of several weeks and even months to deliver on a contract. I've been talking with Jake Ligui. Jake is vice chair of Sasquatch for Golden West. I'm Glendalee Allen Bossler. Thanks, Glenda Lee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Manitoba Organic Alliance annual meeting takes place via Zoom February 15th. You can register on their website. And with Crop Connect being cancelled this year, individual organizations are hosting virtual AGMs. That includes Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers February 16th at 9am, Manitoba Oat Growers February 16th at 1pm, 
Manitoba Canola Growers, February 17th at 9 a.m., and the Manitoba Crop Alliance, February 17th, starting at 1 p.m. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, 4-H Canada will be inducting Don Krinka of Brandon as a lifetime honorary member for her contributions to the 4-H movement in Canada. I caught up with Don earlier this week. Well, I was very excited and honoured to um, receive the award, Corey. Uh, I was very pleased that um, someone had valued my work enough to make the nomination. So, yes, I was really, really thrilled. Talk a little bit about your time with 4-H and just some of the roles that um, that you've been a part of. So I started out in 4-H in 2006 as a part-time administrator um, when the 4-H council uh, employed their own staff for the first time. Prior to that, all the administration and all the program had been managed by Manitoba Agriculture. So I came in as the, the staff person um, to set up the office and, and start um, working on the provincial programming and that kind of thing. So I worked there on my own for a year, and then um, the first executive director was appointed. So Carol Brandt worked with us for a number of years, and then she left in 2011, and we had um, another executive director, Clayton Robbins, who was with us until 2018. Um, so in 2013, I became the office manager when we were planning the 100th anniversary um, for the 4-H, uh, which we held in Winnipeg that year, together with the national office. And then in 2018, when Clayton left, I took over as executive director. So, yes, it's uh, 15, 15 years I was there. And uh, are you're still in that role now? No, okay. I retired in December last year. Okay. Um, what were some of the, you know some of the other highlights from from your time there? Um, well, there's just so many highlights, really. Just w- watching all the the members develop, particularly the ones that we send on the travel trips. Um, you know, they just it just changes them so much when they come back, even if they're really quiet and shy when they go away they just come back with so much more confidence um so watching those people develop has been really exciting and the events that we've held the different things different events that we've done obviously the 100th anniversary was a big one um i took part in the global summit the national um summit uh, sorry the, the summit at the national office in 2017 um, and I've had some wonderful trips. Our J- Japanese exchange, so that's a specific to Manitoba. Um, that's always an exciting time. And I was fortunate to be able to go to Japan in 2019. So I went as the chaperone on that trip with um, the past president of council. Um, setting up the international art exchange, that, that developed from a connection that we made at the Global Summit. Uh, with the with our American colleagues and and uh, partners in Poland, we set up an international art exchange. So that, that artwork the first year, which was really just before COVID happened, so we were fortunate to be able to display that in the legislature. So just so many, just so many things that I've taken part in over the time working on the um, provincial supervisors committee. That's always good, and you know, getting to meet our partners across the provinces. Um, yeah, I've been really lucky and had lots of fun. Now, uh, Don, you, you grew up in the United Kingdom. Um, did they have a, a program like 4-H there? We don't have 4-H, but we do have um, the Young Farmers. 
so that's a similar kind of thing, but has a less sort of general educational um, aspect to it. It's, it is more connected to farming and um, rather than, you know, the, the opportunity to take whatever project you want to do, which is the option that there is in 4-H. Was that something you were a part of growing up? or and Not especially, no. Um, uh, obviously, you know, my family's been involved in farming for a very long time, so I've always had it. And um, I worked for a previous agricultural company, um, which was involved in um, Cotswold Pig, Cherry Valley Duckling, and a variety of other, a seed company and a variety of other things. So I was PA to the chairman of that company. Um, so I've always had a keen interest in, in agriculture. It's where my background is. My family is still all involved in it. My husband was involved in hog farming, which is how we came, um, the hog industry, so that's how we came to Canada. I'd just like to say thank you to the people who made the nomination um, and obviously the people that I've worked with throughout the 15 years that I've been in 4-H, Manitou, all my colleagues and um, Manitoba, at Manitoba Agriculture, who've supported me and um, always been there. And, um, you know, since 2015, when we've had our own staff in the 4-H office, the team of people that I've worked with there, I'm very grateful to them all for all the support I've had over the time. That was Don Krinka of Brandon. 4-H Canada will be inducting Don as a lifetime honorary member for her contributions to the 4-H movement in Canada. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. South America is in the middle of one of the worst droughts in the last four decades. Dan Bossy is president of Egg Resource Company in Chicago. Crop numbers are declining and we would expect USDA in future reports to make those adjustments also. So ultimately, we think there may be another 9 million metric ton fall in the Brazilian crop, maybe another 3 or 4 in Argentina and 2 in Paraguay. That'll add up to about another 14 million metric tons. and That'll probably get us close to where we need to be with soybeans trading just below $16 a bushel in Chicago. Bossy notes southern Brazil and Argentina have been enduring drought going all the way back to the middle of November, and the forecast is dry for at least another couple of weeks. And a new fund is being developed to help small and medium-sized plant-based business access capital to scale up their operations. To get the project off the ground, $2.4 million will be invested initially, with Protein Industries Canada putting up $1.8 million, and the rest coming from the consortium partners. Here, CEO Bill Gruel. So our idea here and our concept behind this project is to create a pool of capital that can help invest in a number of these startup facilities to help manage the risk and make it a little bit easier for them to access the rest of their debt and equity financing through the traditional markets. He says accessing capital is the number one concern for companies. The overall goal will see $200 million in equity capital available through the fund. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.